What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Jamie Dimon is out whining about how his taxes are going to go up under Joe Biden. Oh, poor Jamie. You know, his bank took $10 billion and is out whining about how his taxes are going to go up under Joe Biden. Oh, poor Jamie. You know, his bank took $10 billion in 2009. And and some amount of that, no doubt, ended up in his pocket. And screw Jamie Dimon, right? (laughs) I'll, I'll get to that more in detail in just a moment. But... Ever since the late 70s and early 1980s, both the Democratic and Republican parties were operating under a series of essentially economic delusions. FDR had put us back on the track with classical economics, Adam Smith economics. It was referred to at the time by a variety of names, Keynesian economics from John Maynard Keynes, who kind of restated. He was 20th century's version of Adam Smith. But Adam Smith laid this stuff out in his book, Theory of Moral Sentiment and Wealth of Nations. Literally in 1776, Adam Smith wrote the book on this, on how an economy should run. And so FDR was putting America back together and Eisenhower, frankly, in the 1950s. And there were a few conservative thinkers. Well, actually, what was going on was there was a bunch of rich people who were very upset about the fact that the top tax rate, the top income tax bracket was, you know, a 90% rate. And some of them were falling into it, and they were like, we don't like this. And they didn't like their companies being regulated, and they didn't like the government doing things for people with their tax dollars. So basically, they hired this guy, Milton Friedman, out of the University of Chicago, uh, who began promoting this idea, essentially deregulation, that if we just ended all regulation, everything will be wonderful. An economy is like a football game, right? You've got the players, which run from the uber-rich all the way down to the poorest among us, and the largest chunk in the middle is the working class. So those are the players in the economy, the football game of the economy. You have the rules, which are established by government. In the case of football, it's the NFL. And you have the referees, which is, you know, government regulatory agencies. So what Friedman came along and said was, we need to gut the rules. We need to gut the referees. And we need to turn basically supervision of the economy, control of the economy, even direction of the economy, 
away from the government, take that control away from the government, and put it into the hands of the people who are running the economy, the richest, most powerful sectors in the economy. And why? Because they're seeing, you know, a bank, a guy who runs a bank, a multi-billion dollar bank, is literally seeing a million transactions a minute. So they know which way money is flowing. They know how the market is reacting. You know, Jeff Bezos, the guys who run Amazon, they know what the hot products are. So having government try to you know, regulate the economy when, when these guys who are like the captains of industry have so much data so fast and so accurate, it's crazy. Why, why put this in the hands of government? You can trust these guys, these, the Jamie Diamonds of the world. You can trust them. They'll be straight with you. Just turn the economy over to them. This is Milton Friedman's pitch. And in 1973, he put this into place in Chile, and they privatized their social security system. And when people protested, they took them up in helicopters and threw them out and let them die. Seriously. There's actually, in fact, it's one of the favorite t-shirts. The the one white power protest here in Portland that I went to, there was a bunch of the guys who were wearing these various different t-shirts about, you know, part of the Pinochet helicopter corps, right? So... Tried it in 73. It sort of worked for a short while and then wiped out Chile. And then, you know, Margaret Thatcher put this into place in 78. And Jimmy Carter said, hey, good idea. And he deregulated trucking and he deregulated travel. Louise and I got into the travel business because of that deregulation. Made some money, got out, moved to Germany. It was a good time, it seemed. But that deregulation, as it bit into the economy, basically turned the economy over to the predators. And at that same time, I mean, this was 1980, Reagan became president and he institutionalized this throughout government. In 92, Bill Clinton, or 93 when he became president, Bill Clinton basically said, hey, cool, no more era of big government. Welfare as we know it is done. We're going to buy into this deregulation thing too. And this has been going on, you know, in the Republican Party for 45 years, in the Democratic Party for about 30 years. And now, just in the last five months, Joe Biden has come along and said, no, we're going back to our roots. We're going back to FDR. And thank God for that. And thank God for the people like Jan Schakowsky and Bernie Sanders and Sherrod Brown, who have been holding that space in the Democratic Party since the 80s. And saying, no, no, you guys, you know, this, this, this experiment that Bill Clinton wanted to do, the, you know, this experiment that Ronald Reagan tried, it's going to fail. It has failed. Here we are. Thank God for it, huh? So I guess the question is, how do we best deal with or fight or take on Republicans who are still pursuing this ideology? And a few Democrats. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us, Charles Sauer, the libertarian economist and the president of the Market Institute. Marketinstitute.org is the website. Charles Sauer, S-A-U-E-R, is his Twitter handle. And Charles, welcome back to the program. Joe Biden is proposing, in part to pay for his infrastructure program, to raise the capital gains tax at the very least up to where the ordinary income tax is, and perhaps even above that. My question to you is, why should somebody who makes their living sitting on their butt around the pool waiting for the dividend checks to arrive, why should the Paris Hiltons of the world pay a lower income tax rate on the money that they make with their money 
than I make, or presumably you make, with the sweat of our brow. Because we want them to invest their money. And in fact, even at the rate it is, it's still a disincentive from investing their money. We want them to make their money work. Even you want companies to make their money work. You want them investing in research and development. You want them doing more things with money and putting it back into the economy instead of just sitting by the pool and drinking their margaritas. So having any sort of capital gains tax rate is a disincentive to invest because that money's already been taxed. It's been taxed at the corporate level. It was taxed as income when the people got it. And now you're going to tax it yet again. The effective in, the effective tax rate on capital gains is currently sitting at around 40%. No, it's not. It's it, it yeah, absolutely. It is. If you get, no, it's not. It's, it's, it's you know, if the, you get paid capital gains rate is, from a company if you get paid $100 from a company from a capital gains, you are then taxed on that. Let's take that down to uh, $80 because I believe that, uh, well, let's take it down to 80 But to pay you that 100 the company had to make almost $130. So your effective tax rate is about 40%. No. If I'm making my living by investing, and by the way, as you well know, Charles, probably 90, 95% of all capital gains in the United States are not actually investments in the sense that you're talking about. If I buy $100,000 worth of stock in ExxonMobil, ExxonMobil doesn't see a penny of that. I'm buying that stock from somebody else who's selling it. I'm just speculating in the marketplace. And that's easily, you know, with the exception of an IPO, 100% of all stock purchases and the vast majority of capital gains are the result of people playing in this lottery system, essentially. And they're, they're gambling in the stock markets. The wealthy heir of Walton Fortune, sitting around the pool, waiting on their butt, waiting for the dividend check to arrive. You're saying that we should give them as much money as possible so they investment. Number one, History doesn't show that that's what happens. They put it in offshore accounts. They use it to buy mega yachts. They use it to buy another mansion in France. And number two, the most productive investments are where small business people start companies in the United States. These are not people who are living on their investments. These are not people who are paying capital gains taxes. But basically the bottom line is there's two ways to make money. You can either make money with money that is, you can make money by, quote, investing. And like I said, most investments aren't actually investments. They're playing the market. Or you can make money by working. And ever since, you know, Reagan, to his credit, actually, you know, he came out once and he gave a speech. And maybe you remember this. That I think this was uh, 86. He said, should a bus driver pay more in taxes than a person who, may, who invests for a living? And, and everybody said, no. And he was talking to a bunch of kids and he said, you're right. No, they shouldn't. They should be the same. And he got the capital gains tax and the ordinary income tax both set at the same level, 25% for one year. And then, of course, the ordinary income tax had to come back up because it was wiping out our economy or our, you know, our, our federal budget deficit. But the capital gains tax has been much lower than that basically ever since then. And so, again, you, know, you can say some wonderful thing is going to happen if we give rich people more money. I'm not buying that, Charles. I am not hearing any kind of an argument, a real argument, for why when wealthy people make their money gambling in the marketplace, that they should not pay at least the same income tax rate that I pay 
for the work that I do on this program every day. Oh, man. I can tell you what. Here's what we agree on. We agree that the government is going to spend money, and we agree that there's taxes that the government needs to take in in order to spend that money. But we need to do that in the most efficient and effective way possible. And the capital gains rate is a disincentive to invest. As you said, if the rate goes up, people will just move their money to offshore accounts. They will hide their money. So you've proven that that's a disincentive. And so that is not a good thing. But we might disagree on how much money the government's going to spend, but we should be able to agree that we need an effective tax code. And the capital gains tax is this double tax, if not a triple tax. And that's where you have the real problem, because that is an inefficient tax method, and it does disincentivize people from investing. We also disagree. I mean, on when this I is get not a double in, tax because I'm invested in Apple, that's coming from it's, the company. That's not coming from random taxpayers. So you are actually buying a part of the company. That is, as the stock goes up, well, you're buying stock happy. in the company. It's a real investment. Yes, and you're getting you're you're getting you're getting the dividend, but the company is not getting your money. Apple, if you buy you buy a million dollars worth of Apple stock tomorrow morning, Charles, how much money of that million dollars has Apple seen? Zero. You bought that they stock from somebody por- else who decided they, to sell a million dollars. They see a portion worth. of it, and the fact that their their market share goes up, their market value goes up. The stock nope. that they are holding goes up. That nope. Look, I know. That, I mean, you know, know you know, the price of stocks go up and down based on you, supply and you demand. Don't but want to address that, the fact that it's a forty percent marginal tax rate. And that, and that, which it is not, and, but it, that, but nonetheless, all I'm arguing, Charles, just a very simple argument, is that somebody who makes their living sitting around the pool waiting for the dividend check to arrive should pay the same income tax rate that you and I do. If we had an efficient tax code, we could have that, but we don't have an efficient tax code. So you've already. So wait, already are you agreeing with me? Tax rate. No, I don't agree with you be, because I want them to invest their money. I'm okay with the person sitting by the pool paying the same tax Listen, rate. Somebody, but you how, need to how tax is the it any different if, 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 if Paris Hilton makes a million dollars sitting around the pool on, on her family's investments in dividends, or if Paris Hilton makes a million dollars because she starred in a TV show this year, which is actual labor, she can invest, to use your phrase, either of those million dollars, however she wants, whenever she wants, under any circumstances she wants. But again, back to the question of, shouldn't the tax be the same? Why, why is it that we as a society have decided, really since the 50s in a big way, that although largely since the 80s, that we are going to give, quote, investors, wealthy people who, whose money makes money for them, a better tax rate than workers, people whose whose bodies and minds make money for them. I don't understand right, the so rationale Paris, for Paris that. Hilton, so Paris you Hilton got earns a million dollars. Paris Hilton earns a million dollars. She pays taxes on that million dollars, and now she invests in it, invests that money. You want to tax, tax her again. I'll tell you what, Tom, why don't we tax people every I want to time tax they the walk profits. outside their door with That's additional in income. Because no, that's additional income, Charles. The same money. You can only tax the dollars. I'm not talking so much. about taxing the million dollars. I'm talking about taxing the profits she makes from it. That's not double tax. She's taxation. already paid the tax on the million dollars. That's why you have to ignore the first part to make the argument. 
All right, I'll leave you with the last word. Charles Sauer, the uh, market, marketinstitute.org is the website. Charles Sauer, S-A-U-E-R on Twitter. Charles, thank you for dropping this by. This is the Tom thank Hartman you. Program. Yeah, good talking with you, Charles. Thank you again. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Remember back in 2009, this is a big story back in 2009, we covered it on this program. There were a bunch of employees at this uh, factory in France who got laid off and they rigged up a bomb with propane cylinders at the factory and they threatened to set off that bomb which would have destroyed millions of dollars worth of equipment and products if they didn't get better severance pay for having been laid off. factory was shutting down. They seized their executives, the senior executives, and they held them hostage for 30 hours. And during that time, they negotiated with those executives for 120,000 euro, about $140,000 a year increase in their severance pay. That was in 2009. In 2014, This happened in eastern France. This was a Swedish-owned Electrolux vacuum manufacturer. Put a row of wooden pallets leading up to a 6,000-liter tank of propane. Again, a bomb. And when talks broke down, labor talks broke down, they lit the first pallet on fire. They lit the fuse. So this pallet catches on fire. That catches the next pallet on fire. That catches the next pallet on fire. That catches the propane tank on fire. And the whole factory blows up, right? Only it didn't get that far. Management said, okay, okay, we give. By the time the the fire went to the second pallet, they gave in. The workers got what they wanted. Well, they're at it again in France. This week, 
Workers at a Renault car parts factory in northwestern France, this is from Agence France Press, filed today, held seven managers against their will for 12 hours on Tuesday in an attempt to prevent the plant from being sold. They call this boss napping. <laughs> like, is it a kidnapping? Boss napping? This is at the Fonderie de Brentage foundry near the town of Lorient that had been put up for sale by uh, Renault. And uh, the managers were released. The car manufacturer strongly condemned the detention. The union guys said they still didn't want to have a dialogue, so it was pointless trying to talk to them and hanging on to them. The union representative, Mr. Legoff, says, we're still waiting for progress with this issue. It's been going on for a year. It's exhausting. Amazing, amazing stuff. So anyhow, a lot of stuff we've been talking about. Margie in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. Hey, Margie, what's on your mind? The thing that frustrates me the most when people argue that there should be no capital gains tax is that they are lying through their teeth. They never mention the fact that the original investment or the nut is not taxed. So if you invest $100,000, you're not taxed until the 101st dollar. Therefore, there is no double taxation. Then they and you're only taxed on that to, first dollar. Correct. And then yeah. they also want to eliminate the estate tax. Well, a lot of that is capital gains. Well, you earn all this money through capital gains. You don't pay tax on it. You die. Your children inherit the money. They don't pay taxes on it. That money is never taxed. They're telling in, in many the cases exact, yeah. the exact opposite of reality. I mean, it's just a furtherance of Kellyanne Conway's alternative facts, and it <laughs> okay. needs to be it needs to be called out as it is. It is um, a lie. I am with you, Margie. It is. Uh or at the very least, an urban legend. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You said it very well. Christine in Ashland, Oregon, you had some questions about the capital gains tax? Well, I'd like to give you a little scenario. My father worked really hard, made some money in the stock market, or invested money in the stock market, and then made some money in the stock market. When he passed, he, I had to pay out of that money, which isn't that much, really, um, I had to pay the inheritance tax. He was taxed when he made that money. Um, when he, you know, he worked and made that money, he was taxed. Then I paid inheritance tax. If I, I have like a little house. It's a thousand square feet. If I had not gotten the inheritance, I would be homeless on the street because of his generosity. And intelligence, I can now work in my garden and have my little house, and I'm also disabled. So without but that, that... All of that is wonderful, Christine. If he, if he left you less than $15 million, you paid no inheritance tax on it at all, number one. And number two, the profits that he made on, on the appreciation of his stock, 
He did not pay any capital gains tax on that at all until the time that he liquidated that stock. So if you inherited that stock, then there might have been a capital gains tax at that point in time, but there's ways around that. There's a lot of ways around that. So what you may be thinking of as an inheritance tax might have been the capital gains tax on that. But it it really boils down to this. If you take $1,000 and you use that money to buy a nice suit and pay for the trip to employer's office to get a new job, and so you're investing a thousand dollars in getting a new job and they hire you and you work there for a year and you make you make a you know ten thousand dollars that year you pay income taxes on that ten thousand bucks you know normal income tax ten thousand isn't that much it'd probably be you know a small percentage but nonetheless you pay an income tax on that if you take that same thousand dollars and instead of buying a suit and investing in a trip to a potential employers you take that thousand dollars and you buy apple stock and a year later, that Apple stock has gone up in price so much that you've got $10,000 now from your $1,000 investment. You also made $10,000, but you pay half as much in taxes because you made your money with money rather than making your money by showing up at work every day. It seems to me that if you show up at work every day, you should pay a lower tax rate than the guy who's sitting around on his butt in the, in the next to the pool waiting for the dividend check to arrive. What am I missing here? But, you know, Tom, I agree with 99.9% of the things you say on your show. And this I'm just a little confused. If you don't make a heck of a lot, you're not going to have to pay capital gains because I'm going to have to pay capital gains this year on not much. I mean, I no, then you, like- you'll pay very little. The capital gains tax is a progressive tax, just like regular taxation. You know, if you just make a few thousand bucks, you're not going to pay any tax at all, or it's going to be so minimal, it'll be inconsequential. Capital gains taxes, you know, serious capital gains taxes don't kick in until you're making tens or hundreds of thousands. I'm sorry, I don't have the tax tables in front of me, and I I don't think I've ever paid a capital gains tax. I, if I have, it's been fairly small. Capital gains tax, just like regular tax, the only difference is they're both progressive. In other words, as you make more money, the, the rates go up. You pay less on the first dollar than you do on the last dollar, that sort of thing. The difference is that if you pay income tax because you work for a living, you pay a higher tax rate than you do if you invest for a living. And this is because people who invest for a living have piles of money and they bought a bunch of legislators and they got our tax code written this way. And in my opinion, it's just a scam. There's no other way to say it. Christine, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? I learned this, all right, so don't misunderstand me. I just came to this conclusion. Look, um, Republicans, conservatives have one big problem. They terrorize themselves, okay? Now, this, this concept of woke capitalism, I was really shocked at the terror I was seeing. They are really afraid of this woke capitalism boogeyman that they created because I don't think it's real. And it was like their firewall. Now, that and combine it with Tucker Carlson, which I got a lot of anecdotal evidence, him and, and Bill O'Reilly, people that knew them in the past say they are totally out of character when they're on TV, right? What they're doing, or what Tucker Carlson is doing, is he doesn't understand how dangerous it is. He is looking for... I think he fully much- understands it. Well, he's looking for the line of fiction. He knows that his consumers prefer fiction. All right. And he's looking for that line because he doesn't want peered out by like 
Janine Pirro, for instance. Like, he doesn't want to talk about ETs and aliens. You know, Joe Biden is an alien. But he wants to see how far he can push the line of craziness because that's what conservatives prefer. It's not craziness he's pushing right now, Dave. It's white supremacy. And that is toxic. That is dangerous, deadly stuff. Thousands and hundreds of thousands of Americans have died because of the doctrine of white supremacy. And they continue to die every day because of the doctrine of white supremacy. And that's what he's pushing. What did you think of Joe Biden's speech? I thought it was the best speech I've heard since John Kennedy's 1961 inaugural. It was right up there. I would have put it up there with Lyndon Johnson, except the Vietnam War so polluted what he was doing that I had a hard time paying attention back in the day. But I remember Kennedy's speech really well, even though I was only 10 years old. Um, It was a big deal. That was a big, big deal. It literally inspired a generation And I think it's entirely possible that Joe Biden, 78-year-old Joe Biden, is going to be the guy who's going to inspire the generation that's coming up now. We'll see. One of our callers earlier identified as a millennial, and he was basically like, show me the money. Uh, You know, uh, talk is cheap. We've been hearing flowery words for a long time. The thing I would point out, though, is that we have not heard these flowery words from any Democrat who had real power since Lyndon Johnson, that trickle-down economics is a lie and that it's dead, that we are our brother's keeper, that government actually has a role in making the lives of people better, that cutting taxes and giving everything you've got to all the rich people, hoping that somehow they're going to make life better for the average people, is not just a waste of time, it's a fool's errand that 40 years have proven this, that we need to raise taxes on rich people back to levels that are at least reasonable to pay for the infrastructure and for the country, and even better, that might incentivize them to behave in decent ways, that um, on average, people making more than a million dollars a year are tax cheats, 21% of them, tax cheats, and yet, because uh, Trump and George, uh, George W. Bush uh, offered massive early retirement to IRS agents. We went from over 20,000 IRS agents to fewer than to around 8,000 now, the same number we had in 1956. And therefore, they can't audit the, the incomes of rich people. So rich people are like getting away with murder, like a trillion dollars a year worth of, worth of uh, tax evasion. And who do they, and, but who do they audit? Who do they stick it to? Yeah, people making between thirty-five and one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, especially if they have a little small business on the side or take a home office deduction. I mean, what what kind of a system is that? Oh, that's right, it's an oligarchy. It's a system set up for the oligarchs. It's a system set up for the rich people. It's amazing. Greg in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, Greg, what's on your mind? I think that we need to start using a new terminology for, for inheritance babies. I, I, I support the Paris Hilton analogy is awesome. I think we need to start calling them what they are, which is welfare recipients. They're collecting and living off welfare for mommy and daddy their entire lives. That's what it is. And I think that people need to understand that we need to tax welfare 
at least at the same level as we tax people who work for a living. And and not, not number one. Number two, it's uh, the, the more serious comment, but that's I meant that, actually, is that mm-hmm. we have to tax these inheritance uh, families because it, without that, it, they are a severe, severe danger to democracy. And that the bottom line is that's the end of the story. They have to be, they cannot accumulate mass wealth. They are a direct and serious threat to any democracy. One family, it was Shelley Adelson and his wife who donated $191 million, if my memory serves me correctly, in dark money to politicians, Republicans, who had supported and voted not to have Joe Biden as president, you know, to overturn the, the result of the last election. And that was just the largest of them. But there was, you know, uh, another guy who inherited a pile of money from daddy. He kicked in $50 million. I mean, our democracy is being distorted by this by this vast wealth. And an awful lot of these rich people are making a lot of their money now through capital gains. Because, you know, hey, how much money can you make off the sweat of your brow? Um, you know, but you, you invest money, giant piles of money come back at you. I'm concerned about using the word welfare, though, because... I understand the slur welfare, of course. I hate that term, and I know it's a horrible, ugly term. Trust me, I understand it. But the point is that sometimes I think you need to fight these ugly street gutter fighters yeah. with their own weapons. We used to, fall, and, we used to call them throw, trust fund babies. Back in their face, you know. If, if they're going to continue using terminology like that, then, well, okay. Then how about the welfare that you're getting, Tucker, from the welfare that you got from mommy and daddy, that kind of thing? Yeah, and he was born into a wealthy family. But I, I have no idea how much or you know what it means. But, but he's a multi-multi-millionaire, I can tell you that. Will, thank you for the call. It is incredible. Mike in Flint, Michigan. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind? I work in the flooring business. I'm in a lot of people's homes. And invariably, we get talking about the labor shortage. And I keep hearing constantly from homeowners and then other trades I might run into the phrase, I'm sure you've heard it, no one wants to work is the reason. And I just, I know there's, I have a lot of little antidotes for it, but I just kind of wondered what your take on, on that is, and I'll take my answer off the air. There's three magic words missing from that phrase, Mike. They are the three words that are supposed to go at the end of the sentence, which is for starvation wages. No one wants to work for starvation wages. For example, Back, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I was doing this show when it happened. John McCain went on the floor of the Senate and he was trash talking the minimum wage and the possibility of extending the minimum wage to agricultural workers. And and he said, we've got big lettuce fields in Arizona. They do, they irrigated areas. He said, we got big lettuce fields in Arizona. We could pay $50 an hour to people and they wouldn't, they still wouldn't come out and pick lettuce. And he got over 10,000 people applying for that job. So... It's not that people don't want to work. It's that people don't want to work for, for wages that leave them in poverty, and in some cases even in worse poverty than you know, government programs. Now, Republicans respond to this by saying, well, you know, if you can make more money living on welfare than you can working, then we need to get rid of the welfare. No, if you can make more money living on welfare, which is just bare minimum survival stuff, if you can make more money doing that than working, then there's a problem with the working. There's a problem with the, the amount of money that the people are paying in the jobs. Gina in Sebastopol, California. Hey, Gina, what's on your mind today? You keep referring back to Reaganomics and how a lot of it changed our tax system and our economy, and I couldn't agree more. And I wanted to know from you how familiar you were 
with Milton Friedman economics. He was a Nobel laureate and a advise an advisor to Reagan. Uh, he wrote uh, many books, but namely he wrote Free to Choose. Uh, a personal statement. And in that book, I'm just going to read one line. Hardly any worker today engages in the kind of back-breaking labor that was common a century or so ago, and that is still common over most of the globe. This man guided Reagan to our doom. Yeah. No, I'm very familiar with Milton 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 Friedman. I've I've written about him extensively. If you could say a few things about... How they because stru- how they structured uh, labor and and taxes and all that based on this man's mm-hmm. philosophies about demand and supply and I I have my own views but I want to know your views please yeah well my views you know in a nutshell are that I agree with John Milton Keynes but um, what 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 Friedman was saying what Milton Friedman was saying. And, and not just him. You had, you know, von Mises and Hayek and, and, and others. But he was the most prominent American spokesperson for this. And that's why, you know, he went down to Chile and, and helped Pinochet with his uh, coup and, and privatized their social security system and things like that. Basically, what Milton Friedman was saying was that in the marketplace, millions of decisions are being made every second. And in aggregate, those decisions create a collective consciousness, a collective uh, intelligence that will guide a marketplace in a more accurate and a more rapid fashion than any group of legislators or ivory tower thinkers could ever do. And therefore, we should set aside much of the functions of government and let the marketplace take care of those things. That is true when it comes to things like selling blue jeans. That is not true when it comes to things like building roads, water systems, electric systems, utility systems, you know, natural monopolies and stuff like that. Milton Friedman failed to make that distinction. I think it was the big flaw in his theory, the biggest flaw in his theory. So he had some kind of generally crackpot ideas. Sean in Cincinnati, Ohio. Hey, Sean, what's on your mind today? I explained this capital gains, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but are they not taxing them on what they're making? So that's a gain. It's just that's like correct. if I make money, if I make money off of something, I have to pay the taxes. That was the example I used of you know buying a suit and a car. I mean, the the the, the reality is that there are expenses that we all have that are associated with having a job and going to work. You know, we have to buy new clothes from time to time and wash them, and we've got to drive our car to work. And none of those are deductible expenses, by the way, for the average working person. So when we work, we earn an income and we pay an income tax on that. Now, if we have some money left over, let's say we got a thousand bucks left over and we use that money to buy Apple stock and just to pick a company and Apple pays a dividend this year. And so I get a hundred dollar dividend. How is that hundred dollar dividend, which is income to me? I don't pay taxes on that thousand dollars worth of Apple stock. That was my initial investment. You know, I only pay income tax on the $100 profit that I made, the dividend. Or if I sell the Apple stock for $100 more, I pay, you know, on the increased value. I'm only paying taxes on the money I made. Just like if I go to work, I only pay taxes on the money I made. So 
It is not double taxation. It is income in both cases, which is why it's referred to as capital gains income or ordinary income, you know, work with your mind or your body income. And my question for Charles and for anybody else who wants to defend the capital gains tax being half of what the ordinary income tax is, is why is it that people who make their money investing money, which seems to me like a lot less work than building bridges or or roads or being a gardener or a landscaper or doing a talk show. Seems like it's a hell of a lot less work. Why do they pay half the income tax rate that those of us who work for a living pay? I'd like to know that myself. I worked my entire life to a point and I was doing steam work and ended up the same. So, you know, I'm still paying taxes on all this. I mean, this just aggravates the living daylights out of me that these people use these terms to try to fool the, you know, the easily fooled, I guess. I don't know what you want to say, yeah. but the aggravation yeah, and if you're getting social, And if you're getting Social Security disability, Sean, or if you're getting unemployment, you are paying income tax on that now because Ronald Reagan changed the rules. It used to be we didn't pay income taxes on Social Security. It used to be that the average person could deduct interest payments that they made if my company pays interest on a credit card or on anything else my company can deduct that from our taxes from its taxes that's a taxable expense a tax deductible expense and prior to reagan you could deduct not just the interest on your home mortgage which is still deductible but you could also deduct the interest on any of your loans student loans car loans, credit card loans. Reagan did away with all of that. And then he said, and by the way, if you're an average middle class person and you're getting income from Social Security or from Social Security disability or from unemployment, we're going to tax all that as if it was income. But if you make your living, you know, like Paris Hilton sitting around the pool on her butt waiting for the dividend checks to arrive, if that's how you make your living, you pay half as much as the person who's living on Social Security, for God's sake. So, Sean, I'm with you. You summarized it perfectly. You put it in the perfect nutshell. You know, I'm still waiting for somebody to call and say, no, wait a minute, Tom, you got it wrong. There's a good reason to have capital gains taxes at a lower rate. And I'm not buying that, gee, if they have extra money, they'll invest it argument. I'm just not buying it. Listening to the Tom Hartman program. Because it has never been demonstrated to be true. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Steve Eckert tweeted at me, again, just because somebody said it on Twitter doesn't make it true, but these numbers, as I mentioned earlier, it's been a couple of years since I pulled out the capital gains tables and had a really in-depth conversation with anybody about capital gains, but I believe these, if they're not accurate, they're close to accurate. Steve tweeted, capital gains tax rates for married couples are zero on the first $80,800. If you've got money in the stock market and you're watching it grow and you want to cash that in, zero tax on the first $80,000. 15% from $80,801 to $501,600. 15%. And 20% above a half a million. And that's not on the value of the stock, that's on the profit that you made. In other words, the income. You know, don't take those numbers to the bank and don't try to use them to do your taxes. But I do believe that we are in that neighborhood. That's what this is all about. Double taxation thing. Come on, give me a break. Rick in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Rick, what's on your mind? You know, a person saves his money up and he goes out and he buys a truck and he invests in a truck. Well, then every penny he makes off that truck, why should he have to pay taxes? Because he's making pennies off the truck. That's a that's your yeah, business. I'm just saying, under capital gains and stuff, they, they you know they're under the oh, I see. That they should yeah, if, if, pay taxes. I'm doing right. If he made eighty thousand dollars on his I, on his truck, he would have to pay income tax on that eighty grand, which would probably be you know in the high twenties. If Steve's numbers are right from Twitter here, if he made eighty thousand dollars on investing in Apple stock. And I don't mean to to pick on Apple. It's just top. Of, I'm looking at an Apple computer here in front of me. And then he would have to pay nothing, <laughs> you know, because capital gains taxes don't. You know. I, yeah, but I invested my money into this dump truck. So now, well, mm-hmm. you know, and I pay I pay taxes on the money that I invested in this dump truck. Isn't you know, that double taxation? That dump truck is going to make work instead of money making money. My dump truck is making money, so it's why should I pay tax? What they're saying on their money. Why should they yeah. pay taxes? Well, my yeah. money's working for me, too. It's just, they, you know, in a different form. I mean, why should I pay taxes anymore? Because I, now I drive a dump truck, and, hey, you know, I invested it in my dump truck, and it's doing me very well, and why should I pay you taxes? I absolutely get the argument. This radio show, I mean, you know, Louise and I, the first yeah. four years or so of this radio show, uh, we not only made no money, but it cost us money. I mean, we took our, our retirement money and we put it into building this show. You know, the same thing the first couple of years that we were on Free Speech TV, we had to invest substantially in video infrastructure. We paid for that ourselves and, and for the first couple of years made absolutely nothing for that. That was our money that we had earned in the past that we had saved. And yet any money that we made as a consequence of that, that we took as income, we paid income tax on, not capital gains on. Same thing. I get it. Well said. Thank you very much, Rick. Doug in Portland. Hey, Doug, what's up? I do make some money on capital gains, and I'm, and I'm happy to pay more. I think it sounds reasonable and fair, and the inequity in our country is so egregious. 
Um, I think we just should the set other, the capital gains tax as the ordinary income tax and not even have it as a category. Income is income. You pay taxes on income, period. That sounds reasonable to me. There was also something that came up a few years ago, if you remember, uh, what was it called? Wall Street, Occupy Wall Street. And that mm -hmm. generated a lot of buzz. And there was something about that circulated back then about a tiny sliver of a tax on stock trades, which you also addressed, yes. I believe, last week with one of your guests. I forget what it's called it's, and what you think it's about It's called that. the Securities Transaction Excise Tax, S-T-E-T. It's referred to as the STET tax. It was put into place in 1934 or 35 when Franklin Roosevelt, maybe it was even 33, when Franklin Roosevelt created the Securities and Exchange Commission to oversee the stock market so that there wouldn't be another crash like there was in 29. Famously making the joke, it takes a crook to catch a crook. He hired Joe Kennedy to be the first director of the Securities and Exchange Commission, Jack's dad, and he put a tax of, as I recall, it was one-tenth of one percent on each transaction. It might have been a little more than that. It might have been like two-tenths of a percent, but it was a very small tax on every, t on every transaction that was, you know, on any stock market. And the money from that, that securities transaction excise tax, the money from that tax on those transactions was to pay for the cost of the Securities Exchange Commission. In other words, to pay for the infrastructure of making sure that the system didn't crash again. By the 1960s, that stat tax, I think it was 63, I, I, could, I, I might be off by a year or so, but it was in the early 60s, that stat tax was making hundreds of millions of dollars more than the SEC was costing to run. And so somebody right. came along and said, hey, let's just do away with this tax. We don't need it anymore. The SEC is not that big. They don't cost that much money. They're a, they're a tiny little bip in the, in the national budget. budget. We'll just pay for it out of general revenue, and we'll do away with this stat tax. When they did, when they did away with that stat tax in the 60s, the, the two things that we saw happen as a consequence of that were, number one, the stock market started steadily increasing at a rate that we literally had not seen in the history of the United States. And in part, that was because trading became so much easier. There was, you know, that stat tax was like gear, you know, you know sand in the gears. It, it slightly slowed down things. So if somebody wanted to just churn, you know, buy a million shares of stock today and make, you know, a, a hundredth of a penny on each share at the end of the day, sell them all the next morning, buy them, make another hundredth of a penny, you know, on another million shares. Um, if there was a stat tax, they, that, that kind of churn activity, and today we call it program trading, that would have become unprofitable. But once they got rid of the stat tax, that became very profitable. And we have seen this, this uh, program trading, this churn kind of trading, this trading that doesn't have anything to do with the value of the company. It doesn't have anything to do with the underlying value of the company. It has nothing to do with the marketplace. It is simply basically gaming the system. Um, uh, we have seen that now kind of take over as the principal model on Wall Street. And it's one of the reasons why Wall Street has exploded so much since the 1960s. I mean, keep in mind, the stock market in the 60s, you know, the Dow was like 800 or something like that. I mean, it, it, you know, we're talking 34,000 now. And so that happened when they got rid of the stat tax. 
was that market instability increased. The swings became much more extreme because there was so much more of this program trading. And so the argument that Elizabeth Warren is making is bring back the stat tax. She's got a fancy new name for it. And I, I'm sorry, I don't have that right at the tip of my tongue. But bring back that securities transaction exchange tax and put a little bit of sand in the gears. It will stabilize the stock market. It may not grow quite as fast, but it'll grow more steadily and you will not see the kinds of explosions and recessions that we have been experiencing since the 1960s. Well, I just think it sounds great. And I don't have your depth of knowledge and experience or Elizabeth Warren's, but in some way it just seems sensible to me to put that sand back in those gears and slow down the whole process. Let's use that money to let the SEC actually do some antitrust enforcement, um, you know, which the SEC used to do, pretty much stopped doing, you know, kind of in the mid-50s, early 60s, totally stopped doing in the 80s because Reagan just basically told them to stop doing it. But uh, the SEC used to, to look at those kinds of things, too. Don in Pleasant Hills, California. Hey, Don, thanks for listening on the Tom Hartman app. What's up? Well, um, I'm one of those investors that have been since the 90s. What I had learned when I was very young is that the way you retire comfortably is it's a three-legged stool strategy of stocks, Social Security, and pension. Of course, most people don't have the pension, and Social Security is questionable. Um, I was lucky enough. I've been investing, so I'm looking forward to I'm getting those those, uh, benefits. But up until recently, shall we say, um, this is what was, was taught. If you want to retire comfortably, uh, have, have a, a nice little nest egg there of, of retirement. I have no problem mm-hmm. with taxing that as income and not as a deduction. But you are perhaps generalizing a little bit much because there's a good population, a good size population that depend on those retirement dividends in order to fund themselves once they get older. And I did right, but it is a progressive tax. And so if somebody is older and they're living off dividends, odds are they're not paying any any capital gains at all on that on those dividends. If they're if you know, if they're low enough income, true. if they're just living on social security. All right. Um, yeah. Yeah, if you're if you have the dividends when when you uh, in, in there in an IRA, um, when you pull them out, you will be charged. Oh yeah, of course. Oh, and and dividends are yeah, and and dividends are not considered capital gains. They're that's a different category of income. Don, there used to be a distinction between what was called short-term capital gain and long-term capital gains. I mean, that's the one area where I think you could build a case to say we actually want to have, we want our tax code to encourage people to invest. We're going to do this long-term capital gains tax that'll be lower than the ordinary income tax or the other capital gains tax. But you have to hold that stock for a certain period of time. And, and I would think that probably something like, you know, five years would be better than just one year because you can game the system with the one year um, kind of churn, as it were. As long as the capital gains tax is progressive, as long as the less you make, you know, the less you pay in taxes. Carrie in uh, Arlington Heights, Illinois. Hey, Carrie, what's up? I think you're missing a big part of this. Okay, um, what am I missing? Not just the capital gains here, but there's been a, and you're right about the, the fact that the market did nothing for decades and then suddenly took off. But uh, the growth 
in the GDP has gone 97% to the top 0.1%, right? Right. And and how has that happened? The real growth in the gross domestic product has been shifted from wages to the stock market. Hmm. Excellent point. It's gone to the people of the top. Yeah, wages yeah, have been flat since Reagan came into power, and the market has exploded. Well, Reagan created... Reagan created these deferred compensation arrangements where the CEOs would get warrants. So they shift that. When you see CEO compensation, like 90% of it are these warrants that have exploded in value. And, and this Which is are an basically options to buy stock at an old price and then turn around and cash in at a new price. I don't know what a warrant is. I'm sorry. Is that what it is, a deferred stock yes, option? Sir, it's, it's, it's an option. Yes, exactly right. And so they're, you know, the value of the stock's going up and up and up and going to these, these uh, executives. And this is, this is what, what Reagan created with these deferred compensation arrangements. So it wasn't an accident that they were shifting this. Now, remember, the, the top tax bracket used to be 90%. But nobody paid 90%, right? Instead of that, right. they would invest in new labor, paying people more money. They'd buy capital expenditures to make their companies worth more money. All that changes. So we have this tremendous concentration of wealth. You're absolutely right, Kerry. And it is complex in that there's a lot of different moving pieces and a lot of different names. And, and then you got things like, you know, pass-through taxes and carried interest and all this other stuff. But the bottom line is that very wealthy interests in the United States have basically paid off politicians to rewrite the tax code to their benefit. And the Supreme Court made that legal in the 70s, in 76 and 78, and then doubled down on it in 2010 with Citizens United. It's going to take another change in our tax code to get back to a fair tax code. And that's one of the things that Joe Biden is going to present. And I am just waiting for the squealing and gnashing of teeth. I wanted to get this argument on the record today in advance. So, Kerry, thank you. It's great to hear from a tax professional. Michelle in Van Nuys, California. Hey, Michelle, it says here you're a tax professional also. What's up? I just wanted to clarify what that two callers ago was stating about uh, people taking money out of their IRA account. Traditional Mm -hmm. IRAs are income that was tax-deferred that was never taxed except for Social Security and Medicare. So, yes, of course, whatever... Every single penny they withdraw is going to be taxable um, because it was never right. taxed. That's part of the whole thing of tax deferring the income. Whereas like a Roth IRA, if you put it in, you've already been taxed on it. It grows and whatever you take out is not taxable when you take it out. Well, that sounds like a pretty so sweet deal. <laughs> yeah, Roths were not, were, are fairly recent. Um, I mean, not, not so recent, but I would say somewhere in the 2000s or something like that is when they were yeah. first created. They didn't have them originally. And so you pay the money up front in a Roth, and then they're never taxable, and you don't have to take a mandatory distribution from them, whereas you do right. for a regular um, IRA. But the person who was saying that these retirees are having to pay income tax on the withdrawals, it's like, yes, that's not, a, that's not capital gains. That's income from, a defer, from deferred income. Excellent point. Michelle, thank you. Thank you for, uh, uh-huh. for that. And, and thank you. I appreciate the clarification. You are so, so right. It makes so much sense. Mike in Valley Springs, California. Hey, Mike, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up? Oh, my wife was uh, talking to her sister yesterday, and her sister was, watches that Fox propaganda channel. And she mm-hmm. said that they own some farmland that they lease out. And they said that Biden and his administration is going to try and tax it all the way back to where they first got it, which is four or five generations ago. And then when right. we die, the kids will have to pay that tax. 
Yeah. I was wondering if uh, there's any no. truth to that. Or they just... <laughs> no. They are talking about slightly reviving the inheritance tax and changing it so that capital gains that happened in previous generations end up getting taxed at the time of transfer. But, you know, is, is your property worth more than $15 million? No. As far then as I know, it's then, only a couple hundred acres. Then, yeah, then there's no tax on it at all. I mean, the, the tax begins on an estate that's worth $15 million, and it's a fairly low tax at that point. And then as your estate goes up toward $100 million or $200 million or $500 million or $1 billion, then the tax starts going up substantially. And again, this hasn't been passed. This is just what they're discussing. But, so you know, of course, Fox is always... Your family, this goes all the way back to when your family first bought it? Uh, that's a stretch. That's a real stretch. But it doesn't matter. You know, if it's under $15 million, it doesn't much matter. The point is that what Fox does, and this is what the right does all the time, is they try to get the average person to think like they're a billionaire. You know, uh, oh, you know, Biden wants to raise taxes on people over $400,000 a year. Oh, that's going to affect you. You better watch out. You know, Biden wants to raise the estate tax on estates over $15 million a year. Uh, or over $15 million that are being left, um, which, by the way, is, is only, uh, you know, even right now, the estate tax only affects a couple thousand families a year in the United States and only marginally affects them. Um, and so, you know, they, they, they're going to hype it up to the point that you're starting to think that, oh, my God, um, you know, when grandpa dies, it's going to be the same thing as when Rupert Murdoch croaks. You know, except he's moved back to Australia, so I don't think he's going to have to worry about it. And the reason, by the way, that they're doing this is a lot of very, very wealthy families. I mean, like you've got hedge fund guys who are making literally a billion dollars a year, right? So you've got some guy who's worth five, ten, fifteen billion dollars, and he's in his seventies now, and he's looking at at making sure that you know the the money gets passed on to his kids. So what's he doing? He's putting all that money into things like the stock market. Because right now, if he, if he puts a billion dollars into the stock market and by the time he dies, it's worth $2 billion, he never pays any tax on that increased value that, that from $1 billion to $2 billion. And what Biden is proposing is that that increased value actually be taxed when he dies. And, you know, which seems reasonable. I mean, you should pay a tax on it at some point, shouldn't you, Mike? Well, yeah, I believe I don't. I don't understand why hedge fund people don't have to pay taxes because it's not considered earnings. Correct. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. It, right now, it's a loophole in the estate tax. Is that you, you can have all these earnings? You can have massive, you know, what are called capital gains. And if you simply die and pass them along to your kids, no tax, no foul, no problem. And try, you know, and Biden wants to fix that. But of course, Fox is going to talk about it like, you know, that we're going to steal grandpa's money. No, that's not what it's all about. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 